Thank you so much. It is wonderful to be with you at the Benita Valley Seventh-day Adventist Church. Thank you for um, a wonderful time in Bible study during Sabbath school time. What a blessing. The two of us really enjoyed that discussion. And thank you also for the warm welcome here. Abraham decided that it was time for his son Isaac to get married. Now, in Bible times, fathers decided such things. And so Abraham sent his servant to go to the place of Abraham's birth, to go to a foreign land and among his relatives to find a wife for Isaac. Now, the servant packed up ten camels with goods and gifts and headed out. This is found in Genesis chapter 24. And after entering the foreign land, the servant stopped by a well, and he prayed. He said to God, there are young women who are coming to this well to draw water. I'm going to ask for a drink. May the one who grants my request and then offers also to water my camels, may she be the wife that you have chosen for Isaac. Even before he finished his prayer, Rebecca arrived and did everything that the servant had just prayed about. And as she was finishing watering the camels, she completed the task and then ran home. And the servant of Abraham was then invited to supper. But before he would even eat, before he would participate in the meal, he first asked that arrangements would be made for the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah's son, Jacob, also met his bride at a well. Genesis chapter 29. After traveling to a foreign land, Jacob stopped near a well and he began asking if anyone hanging around knew his relatives. And just then a young woman came up to the well. Her name was Rachel, and scripture says that Jacob kissed her and he wept. Like Rebecca, her soon-to-be mother-in-law, Rachel immediately ran home. And eventually, her father and Jacob made marriage arrangements. Fast forward to the story of Moses. After he got into serious trouble, In Egypt, Moses fled from Egypt and went into a foreign land, a land called Midian. And scripture says that he sat down at a well. What have we come to expect at this moment? Sure enough, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came with their father's flocks, for water to the well where Moses was sitting. 
But a group of shepherds started giving the women trouble. And so Moses stepped in and he defended the women and he made sure that their flocks had all the water that they needed. And then the women went to their home. After Moses was invited to supper, one of the seven sisters, Zipporah, was given to him in marriage. Wells and weddings seem to go together. I have been married now one year and almost four weeks. But before one year and four weeks ago, I had lots of aunties who thought I should spend more time at Wells. (laughs) Wells and weddings seem to go together. So what's going on in John chapter 4, the story of a well in Samaria? Now, I understand that you and Pastor Nelson have been looking at the gospel of John together. What do you think of this scene? John chapter 4, beginning in verse 5. Here's how the scene begins. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. Some of your Bibles will read, it was about the sixth hour. Like his ancestors, Jesus goes to a foreign land, to Samaritan land, and he sits down at a well. Is Jesus looking for a wife? Now, while I don't believe he is, I am interested in why the story is told in such a way as to suggest he is, or at least to remind us of others who have found their brides at wells. Just a few verses earlier, in chapter 3, verse 29, John the Baptist talked about Jesus as the bridegroom and that he is the friend of the bridegroom. What did John the Baptist mean? What is being suggested by this sequence of stories? Verse 7 says that a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Just like Rebecca, just like Rachel, just like Zipporah and her sisters, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And then scripture says that his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. Give me a drink. Later in the story, when the disciples return from getting food, they are surprised. Scripture says they marvel that he's speaking with a woman. And they want to ask, but they don't. What are you seeking? What are you saying to her? Now, given their questions, the disciples seem to assume that what happened at past wells is going on here. Probably given their misunderstanding of the Messiah as an earthly ruler, probably Jesus seeking a wife isn't a bad thing. But this particular woman is a huge problem. A Samaritan woman cannot be part of Jesus' family. She is not an acceptable bride. 
Why not? Who is she? After Jesus asks for a drink, verse 9 says this. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. She's surprised that Jesus is talking to her. Women and men who were strangers didn't talk together in public. She is surprised that a Jew is asking for a drink because Jews would not use a drinking vessel or an eating utensil that a Samaritan had used. Jews considered Samaritans unclean in every way. It went back to a time of war when God's people were conquered and relocated. Those who intermarried with other cultures, Samaritans, were looked down upon by those who had not intermarried. Think of how all wars include the creation of biracial children, where one parent is from the invading nation and one parent is from the conquered nation. Through no fault of their own, the children are usually despised by both ethnic groups. From the disciples' perspective, she cannot be part of Jesus' family because she is a Samaritan. Every minute that Jesus talks with her is a violation of appropriate social behavior. Yet Jesus keeps talking. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said, sir, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Notice that we're reminded again of the story of Jacob. We're reminded that Jacob was born because of an encounter at a well. We're reminded that Jacob became the father of a dozen sons because of an encounter at a well. We're reminded that Jacob and his sons used this very place to water their fields and provide for their animals. Jesus, are you greater than Jacob? (laughs) I imagine the writer of this gospel grinning as he tells this part of the story. Jesus, are you greater than Jacob? After all, this is the gospel that starts. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus, are you greater than Jacob? Jacob gave us this well and this water and this secure place to live and to flourish. Here, Jacob gave us a future. Are you greater than Jacob? Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give them will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The Samaritan woman says, sir, give me this water. Give me this water. Now, I must admit to you that I am surprised by Jesus' next words. 
May I even say I'm a bit disappointed with him? Angry? Oh, can't say that. She moved from assuming that her ancestor Jacob was greater than Jesus to asking Jesus for living water. Isn't that what we were supposed to do? To ask? In other Gospels, when everyone says, help me, Jesus, he always does. In the other Gospels, whenever, whenever anyone says, if you're willing, you can make me clean, Jesus is always willing. He always says, I do choose. He always gives people a new, clean start. So why, in this story, does Jesus now bring up her past? Why? Modern Western readers typically think of her as a loose woman with a sinful past because of her five marriages, because at that time she met that she meets Jesus, she's living with a man who's not her husband. However, in, in the world of Jesus' day, men decided issues of marriage and divorce, not women. Unlike today, only husbands could get a divorce, abandon their families, kick out their spouse. Also in the world of Jesus' day, women could not survive literally unless they were attached to a man. After this woman's first abandonment, either through death or divorce, if she did not have a father or a brother or a son who would take her in, she had to attach herself to another man in order to survive. Going through this five times is tragic beyond words. Given the world of Jesus' day, her story is probably more of a discarded woman with a painful past than of a loose woman with a sinful past. Since her current living conditions were based on her own survival, she was living with someone who refused to acknowledge his responsibility to her. We should probably see her more of a slave who had to do whatever he wanted than a secret lover having an affair. She was trying to survive. He should have married her. Whatever her sad story, when Jesus asks her for a drink from Jacob's well, in society's view as well as in her own mind, this woman is as different from Rebecca and Rachel and Zipporah as it is possible for her to be. They were young virgins with fathers who offered security prior to a proper marriage. They met men who, guided by God, offered the protection of a home, the promise of children, and the hope of a future. This Samaritan woman doesn't seem to have any of these things. Hers, hers is a past full of pain. In class this week, as some of my students were wrestling with this story, one student in particular couldn't let this part of the story go. I could see it troubling her, and, and she kept staying with it, even as the rest of us moved on to other parts of the story. I could see her wrestling. 
finally she raised her hand and shared with us some of the things that had been going through her mind. I think the story goes like this, she said, because Jesus, even knowing her painful past, lets her know that he chooses her. Please know that if you are sitting here today and you know what it's like to have a painful past, because you have not felt the affirmation of family, because you feel insecure in a relationship, whether because of your own poor decisions or choices that were made for you, please see Jesus sitting at the well. Knowing and yet choosing. Yes, he is greater than Jacob. He provides a new kind of water. A secure place to live and to flourish. Jesus gives all of us a future. For the first time in this gospel, Jesus shares his true identity with someone. He chooses to share it with her. When she begins talking about the Messiah who is coming, Jesus says, I am. I am. Her hope for the future is also for the present. The Messiah is no longer something to anticipate. The Messiah is here, present, with us, with her, sitting there at the well. Typically in scenes when women and men meet at wells, the the woman leaves the well and goes to her family, and the family then comes to meet the man, the future bridegroom. And then after they share a meal together, the two families make wedding plans. Well, in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman does not go to her family. This might be another clue in the story that she doesn't have one. But she does go to her community. She goes to her community. It's ironic that as she goes to town to tell everyone about Jesus, the Messiah, the disciples arrive from town with the food that they were commissioned to go get. Do you remember how how Abraham's servant refused to eat anything? Refused to eat that meal until the marriage arrangements between Isaac and Rebekah were completed? Well, Jesus won't eat the food brought by the disciples. Instead, Jesus begins talking about his food being the completion of God's work. Like he has some wedding plans to arrange. The disciples are totally confused. Wondering, who gave him food? I thought we were supposed to go get food. Now now he's got food? Food that we don't understand? That we don't... Meanwhile, the, the Samaritan woman is back in the town preaching her heart out. She does, in John 4, what the first disciples in this gospel, back in John 1, what they do. When Jesus invites them to share with others, they say, come and see. Come and see. She says the same thing. Come and see. She's an apostle. People in her 
town come to believe in Jesus, says scripture, because of her word. Now, what would get a town of Samaritans interested in a thirsty Jewish man sitting by a well? Imagine her witness. Somehow her message brings them, brings this whole town of people out to a well. Perhaps the best mission a local church can embrace is to be a place where people are invited to come and see. Come and see. Come and see. As Jesus is talking about fields ripe for harvest, the disciples, bless their hearts, are are puzzled. They went into the city and brought back food that Jesus doesn't want. It didn't occur to them to bring back Samaritans to Jesus. As Jesus keeps talking about the fields ripe for harvest, all the people from the town start coming across those fields towards Jesus at the well. And they come to share a meal with him, a real meal, Jesus' true food, which is to do God's will. To share God's goodness with Samaritans. To create a new family. Together they will make marriage plans. Scripture says that Jesus remained with them for two days. It's the same word for the spirit that remained with Jesus after his baptism. The language suggests intimacy and connection and kinship. They will join together as one family. Jesus receiving hospitality from Samaritans for two days must have meant lots of sharing of eating utensils and drinking vessels. When women from other Samaritan homes went to the well for water to cook and to serve Jesus and his disciples, did some of those disciples go with them to help? What boundaries were broken down during those two days? How were the disciples' eyes opened? After all, in the future, they will follow the Samaritan woman's example, bringing all kinds of people to Jesus from all different backgrounds. There's some interesting connections between this story and Jesus' first miracle in John's gospel. Do you remember that first miracle? The wedding at Cana, John chapter 2. Both are in some sense marriage celebrations. New families are created with much joy. And notice also how they both involve water and drawing water. Right? The woman came to draw water and the servants back in the wedding at Cana story were to draw water out. Water that would turn into wine. Both of these stories involve surprising actions having to do with water jars. The woman came with her jar, but ends up leaving it at the well. Jesus has the servants at the wedding fill six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification and to fill them with water. The Jewish jars carry transformed water. And the Samaritan jar is no longer needed at all. A jar can't contain living water. Both scenes involve women. Mary, Jesus' mother, is a major character in the first miracle in Cana. And this Samaritan woman. 
after the first parts of their two stories, these two women seem to really understand what Jesus is all about. Both scenes include the disciples coming to understand Jesus in new ways. And both scenes portray amazing transformations. Transformations of wine, of weddings, of women, and of whole towns. At the end of John's Gospel, when Jesus is handed over to be crucified, the Gospel says that it was the sixth hour. It was about noon. The very same time that Jesus sat down at the well in Samaria. Now, I don't know if the Samaritan woman was near the cross when Jesus died. Probably she wasn't. Highly doubtful, especially given the feelings between Jews and Samaritans. But if she had been there, she would have heard Jesus say for the second time, I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. She would have heard the living water say, I thirst. And she would have remembered that day near Jacob's well when Jesus asked her, for a drink. What are you thirsty for, Jesus? You're the living water. How can you be thirsty? What are you thirsty for, Jesus? Are you thirsty for a world where Jews and Samaritans worship together? A world where justice and righteousness flow like streams, like living water? What are you thirsty for, Jesus? Are you thirsty for a world where women with painful pasts experience security in a new type of family? A world without prejudice, without discrimination? What are you thirsty for, Jesus? Are you thirsty for a world without crucifixions and all other kinds of violence? A world where women and men meet at at wells and offer each other a future with integrity and intimacy, loyalty, and love? What are you thirsty for, Jesus? Are you thirsty for a world where the people of all nations make up your family? A world where no one is thirsty? If she had heard Jesus say, it is finished, I wonder what she would have thought was done. Would she have remembered her conversation with Jesus and how it broke down the barriers between a Jewish man and a Samaritan town and began their journey towards joining as one family before God? If she didn't turn away when a soldier pierced Jesus' side, she would have seen blood and water flow from the living water. Jacob's well might provide water for the fields of Sychar, but the water from Jesus' side nourishes a world of fields ripe for harvest, lands waiting for harvesters. What would it mean for us to live in such a way that the living water bubbles up in us and sharing that living water with others is like our food 
Imagine people in our towns saying to us in the words that forever honor the Samaritan woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard it for ourselves and we truly believe that this man is the Savior of the world. Amen.